take your copy of Scripture, if you will, and turn to Psalm chapter 5. Psalm chapter 5. Last week we were in Psalm 3 and 4, so today I thought we'd just continue that. And we're in Psalm chapter 5. The name of Jesus is why we exist. We believe we want Transformation Church to be a church where anybody and everybody can be transformed by the name of Jesus. Several folks are new to us. Why do we need a new church? Why are we here with so many churches in town? The population of Hall County is predicted to triple in the next 30 years. So not only are we planting this church, our prayer is that God will use Transformation Church to plant other churches if we're going to be prepared to reach that many people in the coming years. So we want to be someplace that's different. Like Pastor Matt said, we're like a family. And even the bigger we get, we don't want to lose that family feel. And I was just thinking, when our college kids get back, they got a lot of new faces to learn. And so you'll have a lot of new faces to learn from them as well. But Sunday is prime time. When the Lord Jesus Christ resurrected himself by his own power on the first day of the week, those early believers moved the day of worship to Sunday. And, you know, we learned during the horrible quarantine of COVID that, you know, technology is great, podcasts are great, live stream and all that stuff's great, but it's not the same. It's just not the same. It's convenient to roll out of bed late and just watch church however I want to. You know, I don't have to get up and get dressed and all that kind of stuff. But there's just something about coming together as the family of God. We need this. There's no substitute for that. So I want you to, I want you to talk to me. We're small here, so let's kind of interact today. What are, some, what are some reasons that you look forward to corporate worship? Why do you look forward to worship together? I told you a few of mine. Accountability, that's a strong word right there, the accountability. We keep each other on track, good. And, of course, the fellowship. It's rejuvenating. It is rejuvenating. The garbage that you face in the week, the world that we live in. And, you know, those who know me know I used to be a news junkie. I was a political science major. I was, I don't hardly, I don't turn on the TV until my wife gets home. If I'm at home studying during the day, the television is never on. When I'm doing my Nabisco job, sometimes I listen to AM 750 and get the headlines, but I just, I just don't need to hear all that junk like I used to. I need to listen to 104.7 The Fish. I need to listen to Christian music on Pandora and all that kind of stuff. But yes, rejuvenating. What's another reason you look forward to corporate worship? Seeing familiar faces, that's right. Even those who grew up and we didn't recognize, right? <laughs> those who used to be little guys and now they're all grown up. So, you know, if you if one pine cone on fire, this is the illustration from old-time youth ministry, one pine cone in the fire puts out some heat. But you put a bunch of pine cones together and you can get a roaring fire. So we're putting our pine cones together spiritually, if you will, and we encourage each other, that accountability that Raylene mentioned. And we've said all along, when a church, we, we exist primarily, we're here in East Hall, we believe the most neglected part of our county. There needs to be strong churches in East Hall. But we know when a church is on fire for Jesus and God's doing something, people drive from all around to come to that church. You know, a church alive is worth the drive, a friend of mine used to say when he was down below Atlanta. People drove from all over to, to go to that church. When we called an interim pastor at our church in Warner Robins, he was just blown away by the spirit that we had there, even though he'd been through a very difficult time. And he stood up in church and he said, somebody called 911. And we're like, what's wrong? He said, this church is on fire. And I'll never forget, he had our attention when he said that. And, you know, we know all of these things are good reasons to come. But the bottom line is this is a command of God also. 
Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And he says, and all the more as you see the day approaching. You know, if he said that when scripture was written, how much closer are we to the day, the day of the Lord's return now than we were then? And I love when the psalmist said in Psalm 122, I think verse 1, I was glad when they said unto me, let's go to the house of the Lord. I didn't have to get them to come to church today. I get to get up and come to church today. I didn't have to get dressed and come and be a part of this. We didn't have to come early and set up chairs. But we get to do this because we want to do this. We shouldn't view as church as something that we have to do, but a privilege and an honor and a pleasure. And I always think about, and I guess particularly in a church plant because things are so different. We never know what circumstances we're going to face. You know, we have our signs that we put out front. They're locked up. They've lost the key to the door. It's just something every week in church planting, you know. We never know what to expect. But it reminds me of our brothers and sisters all over the world who they don't have a nice air-conditioned building to meet in. You know, they don't have somewhere to go, maybe under a shade tree somewhere in Africa trying to get a breeze. Or in Russia where I've been where people standing outside because there's not enough room to come inside. Or Nicaragua where it was about two degrees below hell as hot as it was when we were in. That was a horrible place. You know, they need Jesus there, but the people are used to it. You know, or Brazil. When I've been to Brazil ten different times and the side of their church building just kind of lifts up like a garage door. And people are coming by, blowing the horns, honking, dogs barking, and I'm ADD distracted. It means nothing to them. They're just used to that. We are so blessed to have what we have in America. And we want to have the best possible worship we can when we come together. So I want you to think with me on this subject. We don't have the PowerPoint, so I'll try to repeat myself. How to get ready for church. How to get ready for church from Psalm chapter 5. And so as I think about that, there are certain things that Julie and I try to do on Saturday to get ready for church on Sunday. If you want Sunday to be the best it can possibly be, you start getting ready on Saturday. What are some ways that you prepare on Saturday for church on Sunday? Well, I do a couple of things. One, I get my clothes out and lay them out. Absolutely. The other thing is I bring in the coffee, the coffee bar so it goes into the car because we take it out of the car and we wait. And we appreciate Miss Anita every week bringing the coffee bar and the refreshments. I would never get here on the time if I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> and you notice he comes later. <laughs> Well, we're just glad you're here, Tom. I heard you wasn't feeling good this morning, so I was thrilled to look back and, and see you here. Yeah, when we first got married, you know, it, marriage is an adjustment, amen? You know, it, it's just different. You think you know somebody till you live with them. And I'm like my daddy. My daddy liked to be early. He didn't want to be late. And, you know, Julie is a lady, and it, you know, takes ladies a little bit longer to get ready, right? Just a little. And so finally I said, look, every Sunday we're late for church, I'm setting your clock back 15 minutes early. She's not in here, so I can tell you all this, right? <laughs> we started getting up at 530 in the morning. No, not really, but I'm like, we're going to be ready. And I said, no ironing on Sunday. We're not doing that. If you need to iron, you do that Saturday night. You get ready. Back when I still wrote checks, I write my tie check on Saturday, get ready for Sunday. Now it just automatically comes out on, on PayPal. What, what is it we use? Whatever our giving platform is. So before we get to, to Psalm 5, I, you know, we prepare for church on Saturday for Sunday and we get ready. Psalm chapter 5 and verse 1, if you're physically able, let's stand and honor the reading of God's Word. This is King David, Psalm 5. O Lord, hear me as I pray. Pay attention to my groaning. You groan when your clock goes off early in the morning. Listen to my cry for help, my King and my God. For I pray to no one but you. Listen to my voice in the morning, Lord. Each morning I bring my request to you and wait expectantly. Father, we are expectant today. 
Nobody came to East Hall Community Center to hear from Mike, but Lord, we all want to hear from you, Lord Jesus. And although I've studied and I've prepared, I want to hear from you again. Speak to my heart afresh and anew today. God, may we never get into the rut of routine and religiosity where we just punch a clock and come to church and say, well, we got that out of the way. But God, remind us when we gather together to worship, there's just something special about lifting up the name of Jesus. There's something special about hugging necks and shaking hands and encouraging each other as the family of God. So Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning. Remind us how blessed we are in the United States to get to come together and worship corporately. And Lord, help us to turn it up a notch and be more serious and more devoted about making Sunday a day where anybody can be transformed by the gospel of Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Last week in Psalm 3 and 4, we said David was on the run from his own son Absalom. Today is Father's Day. And we talked about if you've ever had a rebellious child, and we all have, right? I mean, even my perfect grandson Wyatt, who's just 16 months old, he's got a mind of his own and he wants things his way. So we all know what that's like, but I've never had my kids come after me and I had to run for them for my life. And so, by the way, happy Father's Day today to, to those of us who are dads. And many of you, if not all of you, know my story. My dad um, went to be with the Lord on Father's Day in 2016 on Father's Day morning. So my daddy stepped from heaven. Um, from earth into heaven. And so I remember when the hospice nurse said, it's probably going to be tomorrow, probably going to be Father's Day. And my stepmother said, how do you feel about that? And I said, what better gift for my daddy, who did not know the Lord over half of his life, but it was only in the end of his life, in the second half of his life when he came to know Christ. I said, what better gift for my daddy than to see his heavenly father. on? So I'm not sad on Father's Day. Yes, I miss my daddy. I wish he was here, but he got the best body, the healed body, that heart. He lived with half a heart for half of his life. He lost half of his heart at the age of like 42. So my dad is whole. But when we come to the house of the Lord, how do you get ready for church? Number one, write this down. Start the day in prayer. Start the day in prayer. We said last week that Psalm 3 was referred to as a morning psalm. Psalm 4 referred to as an evening psalm. And many of the Old Testament saints memorized these psalms. And they would quote Psalm 2 and Psalm 4 in the morning because it's a morning psalm. He said, Lord, hear me as I pray. He's talking about in the morning, early in the morning. He's groaning. It's a good reminder not just for Sunday but really every day. Amen. The most important appointment that I will have and you will have every day is your personal time with the Lord. This is important what we do, but when you've had your own private prayer time and your own private time with the Lord, it makes all the difference in the world when we come together in church. You've already gotten filled up. So we're all coming filled up and had gasoline poured on our fire spiritually, and now we come and we bring that all together. And we're supposed to model our lives after Jesus, right? One of Jesus early in the morning, Mark 1.35, before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. So I like to think about it this way. How can I go out and face a world and talk to people about God? If I hadn't already talked to God about the people I'm going to face that day. So we start every day in prayer. We hear from Him much more clearly when we get here when we've already done that. And people say, well, I just didn't get anything out of the service today. Well, that's not the right question. The question is, what did I put into it? What did I put into the worship service? Not what do I sit there and fold my arms and get out of it. When we come filled up, we're filled up to spill out. So we come and we spill out together and we all benefit from that. And so too many times, I'm guilty of this because I'm a man and we have a checklist and we get things done right. So I check that box. Too many times for me, I find myself prayer being a monologue. Prayer should be a dialogue. Amen. We're supposed to talk to the Lord and hear from the Lord. So many years ago, decades ago now, I 
retrained, retooled my quiet time. So what I do for my personal quiet time every morning, I read a passage of Scripture. This morning was half of a chapter. doesn't have to be a long passage. I read till I get something out of it, and I write that back to the Lord. That's my prayer. I try to reapply that, to apply that Scripture back to the Lord in prayer. So then it's a, dial, it's a dialogue. I'm hearing from the Lord, and I'm speaking back to Him and asking Him to help me apply what I just read to my life. And in Psalm 5.3, He says, Listen to my voice in the morning, Lord. Each morning I bring my request to you and wait expectantly. If I could take one word out of the Bible and out of the English vocabulary, it would be wait. I hate the word wait. I don't like it. I don't like when the drive through line is slow. I don't like when they don't pay anybody to be cashiers anymore. You got to wait behind people to check. I just don't like to wait. But God tells us to. You've heard me say if I could take one verse out of the Bible, it would be Isaiah 40, 31. I don't like that. Those who wait upon the Lord. I don't like to wait. We're looking forward to the fall launch of our church. I'm ready, dadgummit, right now. I'm ready now to launch and advertise and reach people and see what God will do. But God has us kind of in that wait and preparation and preparing mode. But we wait expectantly for the Lord to speak back to us. So number one, start the day in prayer. Number two, pray for others to know the Lord. Pray for others who need to know our Lord. That's the second point. Look at verse number four. Oh God, you take no pleasure in wickedness. You cannot tolerate the sins of the wicked. Therefore, the proud may not stand in your presence. For you hate all who do evil. You will destroy those who tell lies. The Lord detests murderers and deceivers. Well, who has sinned? I raised my hand first. I raised both of them. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? But he's talking about we, we live today in the most evil imaginable. You know, I, can't, I just can't fathom how rapidly things have deteriorated. Scripture warns us that before the Lord comes back, things are going to get worse. And we've known this all along, but when we see it happening every day, we live in a culture that not only you know, wants to be able to celebrate their evil, but if you dare say anything about it, then you're intolerant, you're a racist, you're a homophobe, you're a bigot. All the things that they throw at us, not only they want to practice that, but we have to affirm that. And if we say anything against it, listen, it's not my opinion or your opinion. What does God say about it? So we live in a world that, that murders our own children before they're born and we want to celebrate that. We have the leaders in the White House now who want to celebrate that. Uh, we live in a world that politically is so divided and so isolated. It's like you can't even be friends who disagree with you anymore. Everybody's divided up enemies, even in their own Southern Baptist Convention. 1 Corinthians 6 9 says, Don't you realize those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or who commit adultery or male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheap people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. It doesn't mean that they commit a sin one time, but those who habitually practice these sins and never repent. Some of you, I love this reminder of verse 11, some of you were once like that. You know, when I see a drunk or somebody with a filthy mouth and I just want to judge them, it's like the Lord says, such were some of you, Mike. That used to be you right there. And other people had to put up with you acting like that. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You are made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So yes, we hate sin. We hate wickedness. This is what put Jesus on the cross. But a number of years ago, the Lord greatly convicted me that I was more irritated by other people's sin than I was my own sin. I can't tell you what point that was in my life, but it was a light bulb going off for me. Other people's sin ticked me off and made me mad, but the Lord's like, what about the stuff that you do? 
The things that you're supposed to do and you don't do, Mike, or the things you ought not to do and you do. So my own sin should grieve me more than the sins of the world. Wickedness can abound for a season, but be assured God will not be mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. And Revelation 21 verse 8 says, But cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers. Again, he's talking about people who habitually practice these things and don't repent and turn to Christ. The immoral, those who practice witchcraft. And isn't it interesting in our society? I guess I've been beat up a lot in ministry. But one of the times I was most beat up in ministry as a young, stupid youth pastor who sometimes said things I shouldn't say, but I meant everything I said. When movies about witchcraft, I'll just keep it generic, started coming out. And I took a stand against that in middle Georgia. And so that made, it made the news. Channel 13, Macon came and interviewed me. Macon Telegraph, here's this crazy youth pastor saying, your kids ought not to be reading about witchcraft and studying witchcraft in school. The Bible puts it right here in the category with murderers and the immoral. So all these movies and cartoons about witchcraft for kids, it's just conditioning them that that's okay. And if you don't think that's happening all around our world, we just go to Planet Fitness where I go and the new manager there clearly practices witchcraft by the tattoos and all the emblems and mess on his body there. Nice guy, but clearly he's into witchcraft. All the, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. And so the psalmist, what, what does this have to do with getting ready for church? I must pray for the wicked people so that when they do show up for church, I don't look down my nose at them. We want them here. This is where the immoral, the drunks, the adulterers, the homosexuals, the drug addicts, this is where we want them to be. And when I'm praying for them, I'm not going to look down my nose and judge them, but we will embrace them and we will love them. We'll love them enough to tell them the truth. We're not going to judge them and beat them up, but we're going to tell them the truth as long as they don't try to bring that mess in here and infect our other people with it. But this is the place that we, that's why Transformation Church exists, to be a church where anybody, any of these words we just read there, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers, murderers, where anybody can be transformed by the gospel of Jesus. So when I'm praying and I'm asking God to move on their hearts and they show up, I can then love them and embrace them. Look at verse 9. David says, my enemies, and remember his son was one of them, my enemies cannot speak a truthful word. You ever been lied about? We talked about this a little bit last week. Their deepest desire is to destroy others. Their talk is foul like a stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with flattery. Oh God, declare them guilty. Let them be caught in their own traps. Don't drive, he says, drive them away because of their many sins, for they have rebelled against you. You know, again, when I'm studying and preparing for this, I'm thinking about some of the people in this community who have lied about me, and they've lied about this church. And the Spirit of God said, what are you going to do if they show up Sunday? You know what? i, I got to love them. i got to love them and realize that, that I have not always told the truth. I, it, we've all lied at some point in our life, right? Whether it was as a child or whatever. I've sinned in my life, so the... God just makes the scripture personal for me. Does he do that? He makes, it's easy to preach it, but when he makes it personal, what are you going to do if so-and-so? And I had specific names who lied about me and about this church, and I thought, well, I have no choice but to love them and welcome them and pray that they will see the truth. And now that we've been here since, what, March, I think the truth about some of the lies is obvious. So we pray those who speak lies will stop harming others. We pray for God to stop their tongues. And David's prayer is called an imprecatory prayer. An imprecatory prayer or an imprecatory psalm is basically we're saying, God, go get them. But it's not really about punishment because they're jerks and they deserve to be punished. It's really about God's glory. God doesn't tolerate sin. And so God, judge the sin and let us see that you are serious about your glory. But you know, whoever said sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. That's a lie, isn't it? 
That's another lie right there. What people say, you can harm people with your, your words. Words can either hurt or words can, can wound or they can heal. So there's certain prayers like this when David said, God, you just take care of it. And even in the model prayer when he tells us how to pray, he says, pray your kingdom come, your will be done. You know, that's an imprecatory prayer also. Because for me, I'm praying, Lord, deliver me, take me to heaven. But that means there are people that are going to be left behind when the rapture happens. And the ultimate judgment, they're going to face seven years of hell on this earth in addition to hell forever and forever and forever. So even when I pray for God's kingdom to come, if I'm not, I got to, I got to catch, catch my heart when I pray that. God, you tell me to pray for this. I look, the best is yet to come for the child of God. But too many people that I love are going to be left behind to face that judgment. So even we pray for the repentance of, of those who advocate things like the killing of unborn children, something that's unthinkable to us as a child of God. We're to pray for God to change their hearts. Romans chapter 12 and verse 19 says, Dear friends, never take revenge. Don't you hate that? I just wish God said, God, can I just have one day? God, just turn your back for one day. Let me quip somebody's behind, okay? God, just don't look. God does a much better job than I do. Never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. So we pray for the wicked folks. We pray for the lying folks. So when they do show up at church, we're going to show them the heart of Jesus. We're just preparing. So far, we're just preparing. We ain't even got to church yet. We're preparing our hearts for church. And then number three, when we get here, worship him with reverential awe. Worship Him with reverential awe. We just sang about that, how great thou art. We sing about the greatness of God, and our hearts are just moved to worship Him. A deep sense of who He is and what He's done. Verse 7, because of your unfailing love, I can enter your house. We're finally at church. I can enter your house. I will worship at your temple with deepest awe. It's one of the main reasons for corporate worship, being reminded about how awesome God is. I mean, we can see God's awesomeness everywhere. I was just talking to Miss Edith about being at the beach last week and just God's glory and awesomeness is on display. But when we come to church and we sing how great thou art, we sing about the Lord, we're just reminded of how awesome He is. I'm not coming here to get something out of it. I'm coming here to worship holy God. It's not like coming to a cafeteria line and picking out what I want. No, I'm coming here to give God glory and praise. And if I prayed up, and I prayed for wicked people, and I prayed for liars, and I asked God to purify my heart. When I get to church, I can't help but worship Him. Because if I was God, I'd have zapped me and sent me to hell a long time ago. The fact that I'm alive today is a demonstration of God's mercy and His love. So want to be ready for church. The fourth thing is make sure you are walking in righteousness. Make sure you are walking in righteousness. Verse 8. Lead me in the right path, O Lord. Righteousness just means right before God. Lead me in the right path, O Lord, or my enemies will conquer me. Make your way plain for me to follow. I can't fully worship God. I can't give Him the glory He deserves if there's junk in my life. I can't fully discern the truth of God's Word if there's junk in my life. He's not saying I have to be perfect because when will we ever come to church? Who might I ever pray if it had to be perfect? Now, that's the whole point. Church is not a, it's not a, a place for perfect people, but it's a, it's a hospital for sinners to come. And, and let's be healed in the name of Jesus. Let's welcome. Let's encourage each other. It's where we want people to come. And there's something contagious about worship. You ever come to church and maybe you're just in a bad mood or you didn't feel good? 
and people around you start worshiping and you're just kind of mouthing the words. It's like the Spirit of God just gets a hold of you and you're like, they got it right. I'm the one that's got the problem here. Whether I like the song or the beat or the volume or the temperature, or the, any of the, whether I like any of that or not, I can worship King Jesus. Church is the place where people come and we're transformed by the truth of God's Word. Look at Psalm 66 and verse 18 says, If I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. A sinful heart hinders our prayers. We can still enjoy the service, quote unquote. But if there's junk in our own life that we haven't gotten right, we're not going to worship him in that reverential awe that he deserves. It's why, you know, traditionally, and once we have a a regular building and more space, we want to have an altar. We'll give an altar call for people to come and get their hearts right. You've heard me say anytime we provide the Lord's Supper, I'm going to always have an altar call, an occasion for people to either get saved or get their heart right with the Lord before we do that because a sinful heart hinders our prayers. But aren't you glad that God allows you turns? First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins... And I don't really understand that because God already knows it anyway, right? God knows everything about me. The very hairs of our head are numbered. But if he wants me to admit that, to confess that, if we confess our sins, what's that? And turn, turn, (laughs) confess and repent. He is faithful and just to forgive and cleanse of all unrighteousness. So when we're starting our day in prayer, it's part of our prayer. You know, if you want a little formula for prayer, ACTS. Have you ever seen that acronym? Adoration is the A, C is confession, T is thanksgiving, and S is supplication. Normally, many times we get to the S first, which is God, give me this, give me that, like I'm sitting on Santa Claus' lap telling him what I want. But no, spend time adoring him in reverential worship. I confess my own sins. I thank God for his mercy, his grace, and all of his gifts. And then I give my request to the Lord for other people or for my own family. And once we prayed up, We're praying for others. We repent of our own sins. Then number five, we can rejoice in who he is. We can rejoice. We hadn't sung that song in a while. It kind of became the theme song. Jameson, you were at Passion. That song, What He's Done, that just got all over me. I listened to that song every day for like two weeks in a row, just on repeat over and over. It kind of became a, a theme song of our little church early on. But I can rejoice in who he is. The psalmist says in verse 11, Let all who take refuge in you, he's talking to God, rejoice. Let them sing joyful praises forever. And by the way, to be such a small little group, boy, the worship was sweet in here today. Could you hear that? You can't hear. I I hate you can't hear because it sounded like a choir of a hundred to me in here today. Man, you you were worshiping from your toenails. It was good. Let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them sing joyful praises forever. Spread your protection over them that all who love your name may be filled with joy. For you bless the godly, O Lord. You surround them with your shield of love. We talked about that shield last week in Psalm 4, I believe. He puts that shield over us. He's the lifter of our head and he shields us with his love and he protects us. When all these other things are in order and we come to the house of the Lord and we worship corporately, we give him the praise that he deserves. David paints a clear contrast in this psalm between those who practice wickedness and those who are right before a holy God. A clear contrast. When he is my refuge, I can rejoice. When he is Jehovah Rapha, I can rejoice. When he's my healer, I can rejoice. When he's Jehovah Jireh, my provider, I can rejoice. Again, I woke up today and I wasn't in hell and I'm never going there. If that's the only reason I got to rejoice, I can rejoice greatly. So you give, he's talking about who he is. We saw earlier in Romans 12, 19 that vengeance belongs to, to the Lord. So he's our refuge. We let him refuge us and he takes care of the wickedness. He takes care of the fiery darts of the devil. It's the devil. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. But the devil uses people. 
But those people who are lying about you and throwing accusations at you and doing things, they're not your enemy. The devil is our enemy. So we get behind the shield and we let the Lord do that. So he's all these things that we've talked about. Give me one or two words. Who is the Lord to you? It's a great study to do sometimes on the names of Jesus or the names of God. In one or two words when you think of God, what is he to you? He's our healer. We're still praying that perfect healing for you, brother. Provider. Mm. He put it all there. Protector. We could, we, could, we could just really do this all day, couldn't we? He's all of these things. Whatever you need this morning, Jesus is. If you're listening to this podcast, whatever you need, Jesus is. So pure hearts focused on Jesus, praying for others, is just going to bust out in praise. Anytime somebody asks for a testimony or a word of praise, you ought to be sick. It's like saying, sick them to a bulldog. Or what do you say to a yellow jacket? I don't know. <laughs> we just say, sick them to a bulldog. <laughs> I know what bulldogs say to them, but it's not nice, okay? But if somebody gives you a chance, to, we ought to be sitting on go, just ready to praise the Lord. And then verse 11, he says, let them sing joyful praises forever. Spread your protection over them that all who love your name may be filled with joy. If church isn't a place of joy, what is? You know, you can, we can go watch our favorite sports team. But only one of them is going to win. Everybody's not going to leave there in joy. But when we come to church, everybody can leave with the joy of the Lord. If the tire goes flat, if the sound system doesn't work, if the signs are locked up, we can still have the joy of the Lord in our heart because happiness depends on happenings, but joy depends on Jesus. When we bless Him from pure hearts, then He will bless us. And it's verse 12, For you bless the godly, O Lord. We love when other people encourage us and bless us, but we want God's blessing more than anything else. You surround them with your shield of love. And this right here, ladies and gentlemen, that's how we get ready for church. That's how we get ready for church, and it's what we do when we get to church. So what needs to happen in your heart today? What needs to happen in your heart right now to please holy God? Can you say, and some of you probably can, you're closer to God than you've ever been. And if you can say that, what a praise. You know it's not anything that we've done when we can say that, but it's all glory to God that you can say that. But if you're not, what, what needs to happen if you're not to fix that? He is as close as the mention of his name. We speak Jesus. There's just something about the name of Jesus. And who are the people who have hurt you in this world? Those liars that we read about today. The wicked, the ones who want to harm you, the ones who want to harm Transformation Church. You know there are professing believers in this town that are rooting for this church to fail. You know that, right? I say professing believers because if you got the Holy Spirit living inside of you, I want every Bible-believing church in this town, in this community, to bust wide open, filled with people coming to worship in the name of Jesus. I want God to bless every Bible-believing church in this town. But even those who want to see us fail, man, we can pray for them too because who among us does not deserve the judgment of God? But for the grace of God, there go I. Let's pray together.